When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Podcast. Um, I'm gonna talk about five events today, also preview four. And um, there's a situation in Bad Waltersdorf where it's actually Sunday evening and we still don't have the... Well, actually we don't even have a final setup yet because um, they had issues with the rain on Saturday then also issues with the rain on Sunday morning. Then um, it turned out that they don't have lights and they actually finished play like 6 p.m., which was pretty wild. And uh, yeah, we only have one, one finalist set up there, but of course, by the time you get the episode, that's all gonna be uh, fixed. Um, the only way you're gonna notice it on the show is that probably the audio quality at one point is gonna be very different because I'm gonna have to record the Bad Waltersdorf, or at least most of the Bad Waltersdorf talk, talk um, like on the trip on on a trip um tomorrow via via a train or like you know at, at a train station most likely you not know, actually on the train however you know that that shouldn't really be that much of a difference for you i think it's it's going to be maybe a bit like the recordings that i do um you know when when i'm talking to players live um but yeah anyway uh, i think we should just go into it, go right into it we had two challenges one 125s one of them in the aforementioned bad waltersdorf the sort of black sheep of the challenger week since well they still haven't finished the final still have they still haven't finished one of the semi-finals even however we will still start there because that along with saint tropez was the biggest challenger of the week and the champion in uh, Bad Waltersdorf turned out to be Andrea Pellegrino, who, as we all know, has a very high peak level, but he wasn't really showing it all that much in 2023. We, I remember it was still with Jakub that we talked about his San Marino final, and we sort of said that he lacked into a good draw, and there was really not all that much that he did well there. And actually, that was true. I think this one was much better, even if you just note down the name of his opponents, in, the names of his opponents, you know, Rodionov, uh, Passaro, Kovali, Kramos, Vignolas, Denis Novak. I mean, that's insane right and um yeah in the final he actually wasn't playing all that well and at, at least until 1604 down and yeah he pulled off that crazy comeback when he suddenly realized that he can actually outlast novak on the day and that was actually precisely right so from that point onwards he was much better tactically and even though novak fought back with some like crushing some inside out forehands it was still uh, pellegrino who emerged as the victor this helps him a lot ranking-wise because, as I said recently, he wasn't really picking all that much. And also, like, still, his ranking compared to what he can do, you know, the, the talent that he has, it's it's really pretty ridiculous, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's Andrea Pellegrino for you right there, right? Uh, he peaks for three weeks a year. He is absolutely sublime to watch these three weeks a year. But these are only three weeks, so he cannot really break the top 100, at least not yet, you know, not, not uh, uh, until he gets more consistency. 
But anyway, yeah, that was that was a phenomenal weekend. Even though he didn't, he wasn't playing well in the final until one six zero four down. He pulled it off, which is really impressive. And Denis Novak, the other finalist, I guess a player who also has a pretty weird year. He started well, right? He had that ankle injury in Vilnius, which really stopped him in his tracks. But he he did. Uh, or he has already. Uh, uh, he already has a challenger title this year in Nontaburi. And Novak, honestly, he was peaking this week as well. No sets lost until the semis, the way he crashed Hoinski. I remember he also crashed Hoinski in Stettin, but that was when Hoinski was like really tired, you know, fatigued after his match against Seng. Here there was no such thing, and Novak just completely demolished him. But there was also that semi-final against Vitko Priva, where Novak went down 3-6, 3-5, saved five match points, managed to come back, uh, won the third set, uh, won the first set actually on Monday, a bit earlier before his Pellegrino match, which I think played its part in how the final ended up. Because even when he was leading 6-1-4-0, this, even then, Novak seemed a little, little gassed. And I think maybe that's something that Pellegrino spotted. I think it was also something that really told me, okay, this final might not be over yet when Pellegrino got his first game on the board in the second set. And indeed, it wasn't over yet, so maybe a little unfortunate with the scheduling there for Denis Novak. Uh, but still a great round for him, 75 points uh, at home as well. I don't think he's won one at home yet, right? He's won in Taipei, Bratislava and uh, this year in Nontaburi. So um, still hasn't won at home, but I think it was still a great round for, for Denis Novak. Also, uh, he has fallen off quite a lot in the rankings, right? So so this will help. I think both Novak and Pellegrino, like, compared to their talent, level are very very underranked at the moment and Vitko Priva somewhat unexpectedly had actual winning chances like had actual chances to break the top 100 this week uh, I remember in Stettin um, when it was like maybe the beginning of the event I told a friend of mine that well Copriva is getting so many points the last few weeks I mean he might break the top 100 in 2024 and he was like really and then in a few days he was more receptive to the idea and right now Copriva if he won the title he actually would have done it already uh, I think it's more likely to come in 2024 unless this great stretch continues but you know in, in the early days in 2024 he's not going to have that much to defend so it really could be the best opportunity that the Czech will get uh, but anyway uh, in uh, Bad Waltersdorf he made the semi-finals he was actually once again doing uh, pretty strong, I would say, for the most part. There were some signs of fatigue, maybe, against Andrea Piccione, then he beat Moleker in three sets. Actually, Moleker retired in the third, and Marvin Miller, so not the toughest of draws, but against Donis Novak, he was playing very well in the semis. I thought that Novak probably had a good chance to win there, but Vitko Priva went up had five match points and missed them all. And most of them, honestly, weren't even great points from Novak, maybe outside of one. It was really Copriva just giving them away. So very disappointing for, for him there. That that uh, semi-final had to be finished on uh, Monday. Uh, Copriva wasted the five match points in the second set. He was even 6-3 up in the tiebreaker. He lost that one. Uh, and then the, the semi-final had to be suspended due to darkness. And of course, on the uh, on Monday, six to set for Denis Novak. Um, there was there wasn't much that Kopriva could do. 
So a uh, big shame for the Czech, but I think still, you know, he's gained so many points in the last three weeks. Uh, it's a career best ranking. It's it's definitely a, a good chance of breaking the top 100 next year when he has a couple of semifinals around March, April, but then basically nothing to defend until, yeah, until July. So I think Kopriva will enjoy his chances in the early days of 2024, or even not early days, like generally the first half of it. I think, in fact, you know, I'm going to make that prediction now. I think Vitko Priva breaks the top 100, um, maybe, um, let's say, until July 2024. I think I think he's going to do it. Yeah, and the, the other semi-finalists, so the only, uh, the only player that actually lost on Sunday was Albert Ramos Vignolas, as we've mentioned many many times this year i mean his his win loss record for the year is absolutely awful however in recent weeks he has been picking up his game uh, we also said a few times that this is when he actually has to depend on challengers a lot to save himself especially if he wants to make the top 100 by year end so i think it was still a pretty positive week you know the, the way he dismantled pernoza Pet, i thought was pretty impressive because noza as you guys probably know because I talked I think about him in Szczecin and also uh, in uh, Bad Waltersdorf you know a quicker clay court he was really dangerous I think same with Misolic he also beat um, Schwarzler the Austrian junior in the opening round that was a very good performance from the 17 year old so I think it's still a positive week for Ramos Vignolas in Tuln he also made the quarters also beating Misolic by the way um, so, so there is something to look forward to in terms of the Spaniard I think he has a good chance of fighting for the top 100 this year for the Australian Open main draw spot uh, but the way he was just crushed by Pellegrino I guess is not the best he also lost to Pellegrino in Genoa um, 2022 and of course you know the, the Italian has such a high ceiling which I've just discussed but um, yeah, I think that's that's still a decent week for Ramos Vignolas and it, it definitely keeps the hopes up that maybe he could um, remain in the top 100 by the end of the year. It is certainly possible right now with the with the ranking that he has, you know, in the ATP race, he is in the top 100, like, pretty firmly. So, um, so yeah, that there should be an opportunity for Albert Ramos Vignolas to do it and part of that will be the Bad Waltersdorf semi-final because the semi-final of uh, 125 is 45 points, so you know, not, not to be sniffed at. And uh, in Bad Waltersdorf, the doubles champs were Franz and Jebens, again, beating Portorotti Passaro and actually crushing them. They had they saved some match points against Bergevi Welder in the, in the semis, but Franz and Jebens, obviously, that's a, that's a very, very strong pairing this year. They've already won five challengers, four of them on clay courts, Heilbronn, Augsburg, Como and Bad Waltersdorf. Um, and let's go over to the other challenger 125, which actually was probably the one that that like um, gave us a lot of headlines this week, which was due to Liam Brody. But I think we're going to start still with the tournament champion, so Constant Lestien, who beat Brody in the final. Constant Lestien, um, not a fantastic year for him, mostly with injury reasons, because I think he actually started pretty well, and then he just constantly struggled with some... Constantly, by the way, no pun intended. Uh, he struggled with some uh, physical problems a lot of the time until that Stanford run, which, as, as you guys probably remember, I mean, he saved seven match points against Dane Sweeney and then won the title. And since then, he only had three matches. He lost all of them, but they were against quality opposition, uh, Kepfer, Altmaier, Pui, 
And then in Saint-Tropez, he beat Hugo Gaston Arolmayo, benefited from two retirements, which was quite interesting, and also beat Brody. And I thought that was an excellent match. I mean, the, the way he handled Brody, I thought was perfect for, for what he had to do. I think he truly understood that well. He's a lot more creative, right? And also, like, the way he could play with the crowd, I think it really got to Brody at some point. And, of course, also Lestien, you know, really enjoyed that, like, fed off the energy. And, uh, yeah, I think since going since going 0-4 down in the opening set, Lestien was just by far the better player. He managed to convert that. He managed to hit some ridiculous shots in the process, of course, as usual. The, the drop shots, the, the you know, the way they were hidden off the forehand. Just beautiful stuff, really. And yeah, he managed to take that title, so his second challenger title, uh, challenger title of the year, which uh, might be really surprising because, well, he's still 19 and 24, I think, in terms of the win rate, so uh, definitely still really negative. But yeah, that's just how um, awful he was doing in like April, May, uh, and etc., and even July. But now two challenger titles, and he is also back into the top 100. Actually, he's just one spot behind who? Liam Brody. Liam Brody, ladies and gentlemen, finally breaks the top 100. 29 years old. Uh, as you probably remember, he was the world number two in juniors in 2012. So 11 years ago, he uh, won two slams in doubles. He made um, the final of two slams in singles. Excellent junior. Never really followed it up because he's like one of the usual juniors who struggled making it into pros, right? Like, just very, very solid, very good all-round skill set. And uh, yeah, Brody, um, it was such a long journey uh, since making his first challenger final, I think in 2014 as well. Uh, then, of course, um, he struggled to get that first title. He had seven finals before he finally got over the line. Now, after losing in Saint-Tropez, his final record is just two and nine. But still, the most important thing that of this week, I, I, I believe, you know, is the um, top 100. He was not on my list of players who I thought was go were going to break uh, the top 100 in 2023, mostly because at some point it just started feeling like, okay, Brody might really never do it. But even as early as Vilnius, uh, which of course we had him on the show from, from that event when he won it, uh, even as early as Vilnius, I think I remember saying um, to Jakub that maybe this is the year Brody does it because 100 points from Vilnius, you know, that's probably already like 20% of what he has to... Uh, pile up. That actually did not turn out true because um, this year we have all these in increased ranking points, you know, an increased number of challengers as well. So we actually need about 600 points right now to break the top 100. Brody right now has 657 even. Uh, so so it wasn't exactly 20%, but you know, th this was like, uh, all, all I'm trying to say is that as early as February, we were already thinking, okay, maybe he actually can do it after all. And he was even injured for a bit in uh, April, May, but that was good. Like that, that was some good timing, right? Because he's not great on clay. So he managed to sort of get injured in the best part of the season for him, I suppose, for him to get injured, not for actually getting results. Then of course, Wimbledon round three, uh, recently very solid results in challengers, basically three semifinals in a row, then one loss to Zizou Bergs in Ren. But here he beat Dana dead. Uh, that was a very tight third set, by the way. And then a crash, Lucas Klein, got a retirement from Artur Cazot. And as it turned out, that quarterfinal win was already enough. Then he also beat Radu Albot. And then he yeah, lost to Constant Lestien in a match where I think, um, yeah, Lestien just, just was 
definitely the better player after the slow start. But as I said, that the most important thing is getting to that top 100. Obviously now the goal for him will be to remain there and get that Australian Open main draw spot, which he's looking very likely to do. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, you know, in the ATP race, he also has a nice cushion now. Yeah, he has 592 and player number 100 has 525. So yeah, Australian Open main draw spot looking very, very likely for Brody. And honestly, you know, I, I guess he deserves it, you know, after so many years uh, of being a very steady top 200 player, um, I, I think he deserves that chance. Let's see how he fares against top quality opposition, because like just looking at who's currently in the top 100, I think Brody is not among the strongest players. Uh, I think, you know, maybe him, Hijikata, there are a few guys who I'd pick out as Vanash, maybe so far at least. There are some guys who I would think at the ATP Tour level, they might struggle, even though they've had some good runs, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, they, they earned their chances to prove themselves and they, um, I hope that they will, you know, Liam is, is obviously very active on social media and, and you guys probably know that he's, he's a great person. So, um, yeah, let's, let's see how he handles this sort of opportunity coming his way. An opportunity that he was waiting for, you know, for 11 years, basically. Uh, Radu Albot was the other semi-finalist. Um, was there much to really write home about in this Radu Albot run? Probably not, but he was pretty clean in beating Ugo Grenier, Peter Gojovczyk and uh, Peter Gojovczyk and uh, his brower. Um, I guess Brody, it was, a, it was a tight two-setter. I actually thought that Brody was going to win that one a bit more comfortably, so I think Albot did pretty well. Um, has he made a deeper run this year at the challenger level? I don't think so, right? But he had an... Yeah, he didn't, but he had an ATP Tour semi, so... Um, you know, that that's obviously better than a challenger semi. Uh, not gonna lie. And then Michael Moe was the other semi-finalist. Um, I think I've said it a few times as well, but uh, Michael Moe, besides that injury break that he had this year, he's still, for me, like just playing the best tennis of his career. And um, it's not really a surprise to see him in, in matches like this. And um, it's also quite an achievement, I think, from him, you know, that, that, you know, with that sort of break. So between March and... Uh, let's say between March and the end of June, he never won a match. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that was a pretty long break, obviously. And st with with that, you know, he is still able to keep himself in the top 100. Well, I, th I think currently he is like 90-something, right? So so that's um, that's very impressive, I think, from Mo. And, um, yeah, just, just another very, very solid run. Actually, in the live rankings, he's going to be like 84, but in the race, he's like 90. Uh, at the end of 2022, he had some some great results after all. Uh, but yeah, lots to gain next year if he can remain healthy, you know, in that period where he couldn't play. Although it will be the clay season, but, you know, maybe he can find, I don't know, um, some sort of a different way. On, on green clay, I think he was okay. Also, he could go to South Korea, uh, like a few players this year, you know, Eubanks, Vukic, Thompson, and etc. So we'll see um, what his scheduling is going to be like next year. And uh, when it comes to the doubles, we had Dan Adet and Albano Olivetti beating Aceric and Mayo. Adet Olivetti, uh, I've, I've, I was just talking about France and Japan, they have five titles. Adet Olivetti have four, uh, obviously one of the best pair pairings of the year. Although the actual title here they got in a pretty weird manner because um, Aceric and Mayo retired in the opening set after winning, uh, sorry, in the second set after winning the first one. 
Uh, I, I was supposed to check back on, on what happened there, but I actually didn't, sorry. Uh, but obviously that's not that's not ideal, but still, Adel Olivetti, just yet another great title. They have a fantastic record with each other. This year it's 17-3. and three. At the challenger level it's 17-2 and two because that also includes their French Open round one loss to um, Barrientos and Galloway. And um, yeah, otherwise we also had a challenger 100 in Antofagasta. And I remember mentioning last time that um, these days it's pretty rare for South American challengers to be over the 75 level since the pandemic it's basically remained that uh, I mean it's been like that however we have a challenger 100 in San Antofagasta that just finished and also we have a challenger 125 in Bogota to preview but of course before we get to Bogota we still have Antofagasta which actually wasn't on altitude it's a it's a seaside town and uh, Camilo Gucarabelli won his fourth challenger title, beating Tristan Boyer, 7-5 in the third. Lots to unpack here as well, uh, mostly as, you know, Camilo Gucarabelli, most of the season, he has kind of struggled, you know, got back to like around 200 in the rankings. Um, when people say that he has a very low ceiling and, you know, that the top 100 weeks, um, that these few weeks at the top 100 that he had, th it, that might be the best that we've seen from him and that, that might be the best we get from him. I always say that to me, like Camilo Gokarabelli can actually play some more offensive, some more gutsy tennis, however he's sort of afraid to. Uh, but when it works, I mean, it, it works really well. And um, recently he made that final in Merbush, even though he was crushed by Jan Koinski, Jan Koinski there. Uh, but here, um, you know, after coming back to South America, he lost to Facundo Mena at Santa Cruz, but that's on altitude. You can always lose to Facundo Mena at altitude. And then the Santa Fogasta run, I think the key win certainly was second round against Juan Manuel Serundolo. Um, that's uh, that he was the top seed there, uh, of course, the Argentinian and, well, the other Argentinian. Uh, by the way, I did not mention who I had as my picks for Saint-Tropez and for Bad Waltersdorf, so I, I will get back to this right now, although I'm not sure I'm going to remember them, because as, I, as far as I remember, my picks were awful. Uh, in Bad Waltersdorf, I had Jaume Munar, who lost to Vitaly Sachko in the opening round. And by the way, in Bad Waltersdorf, only one seed survived the opening round, and it was Ramos Vignolas. And in Saint-Tropez, I remember thinking about Cazo, and then I went with whom instead of Cazo? Oh, Hugo Umber, who withdrew. So that's actually not my fault. But by the way, no, I did not get any points this week. And uh, yeah, coming back to Hugo Carabelli, the win against Serundolo, uh, that was fantastic. And also against Tristan Boyer in the final. Um, I did not like his very passive attitude at first, but it actually worked. Like he managed to grind down Boyer, especially as the American had some sort of a physical crisis. And then when he was like softened, um, you know, that's when Hugo Carabelli struck. And I guess that's something he's really good at, you know pouncing when, when he sees the opportunity to do so. Uh, very tight for set though, and Hugo Carabelli held on uh, very well. I think there was like a pretty critical moment at maybe 4-5 or 3-4 on his serve, and, and he managed to survive 3-4, I think. I don't think it was close to match points. I think it was 3-4. And, and he managed to survive that. So, um, yeah, kudos to him and, and his fourth challenger title first this year. Tristan Boyer, by the way, I mean, I, I just realized that Still in, in March, he was unranked, which is pretty crazy. I think he, yeah, he finally got a point in Viña del Mar when he won a round in the qualifying. 
And of course, since then, he's had a tremendous rise. He's in the top 300 now. Um, he had that, um, I mean, he was one of the heroes of the Ron Garros wildcard challenge, right? Barely losing to um, Patrick Kipson because he had no, like, no energy left for the final against Diaz Acosta in Savannah. And then um, a few months of, like, not doing all that much. But of course, then Stanford, the semifinal where he led Emilio Nava 6-2-5-2 and actually lost it, but still had a great win over Mo uh, in the meantime. And uh, yeah, right now he comes to Antofagasta and it turns out that his forehand is a very good clay weapon. He can actually like spread the court with it. He can play it very heavy when he wants to. I loved how that shot looked in Antofagasta this week. Uh, In the opening round, he saved three match points against Alejandro Tabilo. Uh, which was a very high quality win. You know, Tabilo was probably the guy that the Chileans here were expecting a lot from. I don't know about Barrios Vera because he sort of lost his form, but Tabilo was probably the one. So uh, I thought that was really huge for the um, for the American, yeah, to beat Tabilo there. And then he beat Gustavo Haide, João Lucas Reis da Silva and Luciano D'Arteri as well. And of course, losing lost to Carabelli, Hugo Carabelli in the final. Uh, Roman Andres Buruchaga was the was the one of the semifinalists. He beat Rodriguez Taverna, Mena, and Comesania. And I guess the, the win against Comesania deserves to be mentioned. The um, you know his fellow Argentinian actually had some sort of physical issues. I mean, he, I think he was just fatigued really. Uh, he barely survived his quarterfinal uh, quarterfinal like streak of making quarterfinals on the Challenger Tour. Barely survived as well. However, uh, yeah, Burchaga just definitely played great in that one and then was just a little bit outplayed by Ugo Carabelli in the semis. But it's still huge for um, the um, 21-year-old because he was on a losing streak and it was actually a pretty long losing streak. How many? Let me count. Seven before this event. And this was his third, sorry, fourth Challenger semifinal of the year. I do not believe he's played the final so far. Definitely not this year, right? But I don't think he's played a final last year either. I think last year he only had one or two semis. So, yeah. Um, and Luciano Darderi was the other semifinalist. I think he will be maybe slightly... Um, well, I, I don't want to say uh, regret losing to Boyer, but uh, he was the big favorite there. However, that was probably a bit of an underestimation of the Americans' game. And Darderi also seemed to be struggling with something, at least at the end of uh, set one. Uh, but up until that point, he was very clean and in beating Soto, Ribeiro and Lama. So um, also a positive week for Darderi for sure. And we all know that like the last few months, the last two months especially, have been very strong for him. And from missing um, US Open qualifying, which was a bit of a hit, and he lost that quarterfinal to Copriva in Verona, which basically the winner of, it, of that um, would have made US Open qualifying, uh, I think from from that he really um, just put in some excellent work and he will definitely be in Melbourne qualifying. So, um, yeah, I think he turned that defeat, turned that sort of disappointment into something great and into a great patch of play. Let's see how he how he uh, manages to keep that going. I don't think I don't think he's in um, Bogota, so uh, probably going to be back in Campinas or something. And uh, also the doubles champions in Antofagasta, they were 
very usual, very um, very strong pairing of the, on the Challenger Tour as well. Uh, Boris Arias and Federico Zabayos. And I was talking about uh, Franz and Jebens having five Challenger titles this year. Adet Olivetti having uh, Adet Olivetti having four, and Arias Zabayos also have four. Obviously, all of them are on clay, and they also won in Santa Cruz last week. So. Uh, that's seven wins in a row because in that in the meantime they actually had one withdrawal. Uh, I mean they had one um, walkover, and in the final they beat Luciano D'Arteri and Murkel Delian. And uh, yeah, getting over to the Challenger 75s that we had this week, it was Columbus in the States, so the courts of Ohio State and also Sibiu in Romania. Let's maybe start with, um, we were just in South America, let's maybe stick with America for now. This time it's the North, this time it's the United States. And uh, Denis Kudla won his ninth Challenger title, I believe, over Alexis Galarno. A bit of a surprise, I would say, uh, because Denis Kudla this year, I mean, he hasn't been going too strong. He had some um, Challenger quarterfinals, I think, maybe four of them, yeah, before this week. Also, Australian Open round two, which probably you would have to say that was his best effort of the year. Uh, however, uh, yeah, it was just not the sort of standard that Denis Kudla has gotten us used to over the years. He also fell out of the top 200, which I think for a player like him has to be a bit of a shocker. And uh, yeah, Columbus is obviously going to help with that. Um, I generally am of the idea that anytime you get Denis Kudla on a quick, uh, fast, low bouncing court, he's going to be dangerous. Some of that we've already seen this year on a few occasions. For example, Bloomfield Hills, that amazing match that he played against Kei Nishikori, right? That was something uh, excellent. And yeah, in Columbus, he only really had one opponent that he struggled with, and it was Michal Hertz in um, round two. And I have to mention that his performance in the final against Galarno, I mean, that was ma- really mouth-watering and... Um, Phenomenal. Uh, he just came out, blasted the ball. He basically never let um, Galarno feel comfortable on the court. And I think um, to win that in 62 minutes against a player who was like really confident going into that match, that was that was really fantastic and vintage Dennis Kudla, if you may. And yeah, the courts really suit him as well. I actually was a bit surprised that he had never won that event before. Um, let me check how, how many times he played at 2017 quarterfinal, for example. I mean, I guess he had some decent runs there, just just never won it. Uh, Alexis Galarno, the aforementioned finalist, uh, he was coming off a wonderful run at Davis Cup, where he beat Tabilo and Sonego. Sonego the bigger win, of course, and also 3-0 in doubles. So he was really instrumental in getting Team Canada to Davis Cup World Group. Well, Davis Cup, how, how's it called now even? Davis Cup World Group Knockout Stage, I suppose. You know, the, the new format of Davis Cup is, is a little tough for me to comprehend sometimes. But anyway, yeah, he gained five points with uh, for Canada and three of them with Vasek Pospisil, but still. And um, yeah, here he beat Fikovic, Lokoli, Kwako, Kingsley, Noel sets lost on the way to the final, only two tie breaks, only to get crushed by Denis Kudla. And I think part of that is, you know, Galarno's ceiling and the fact that when he runs into an opponent like that playing well, there's not that much he can do. But at the same time, yeah, just a phenomenal performance from Kudla, who I think would have beaten a lot of players on these Columbus courts on this day. And... Um, 
yeah, let's let's get to Ram Peniston, the semi-finalist. Um, I don't think I was really expecting him to do it. This was actually his first appearance since Winnipeg, since winning the, that Maiden Challenger title. So he was on an eight-match winning streak, which I kind of missed. He benefited from a retirement of um, Bernie Tomic, then beat Tennis Sandgre and Vasek Pospisil and lost to Kudla. So by the way, what a ridiculous um, sort of veteran run. Um, all of these guys are... After uh, are over 30 years old, right? Kudla 31, yeah, Pospisil 33, Sandgren definitely is 32, and Tomic also definitely is, which might be sometimes shocking for uh, for you that Bernie Tomic is over 30, but yeah, it's been so long. Uh, it does feel like, though, he he's, has been around forever, 2011 Wimbledon quarterfinalist. But anyway, uh, yeah, so so a nice veteran run for, for Peniston, and he lost to Kudla, who again, was was very tough to beat this week. And Cannon Kingsley, the more exciting, I guess, semifinalist, just because we don't really see him on the Challenger Tour all that often in the, sem- in the semifinals also. But, you know, he, he's already made his second this year after Lexington. And Columbus is the event where he always did well, mostly as he is an Ohio State player and he knows these courts so well. And last year he also made the semis. So this is a repeat of, of his last year's result. And um, I thought Kingsley had a really fantastic round beating Richard Trotter, another Ohio State player, and Christian Harrison. Then he lost to Galarno, but it was a pretty good match. Um, yeah, I think the, the combination again of, of the speed and also the bounce of the surface just suits him so well. And he can be super aggressive um, on these courts, which um, that's how he often gets the best wins, you know, that, that he can that he can pull off. And he's actually going over to Bogota to play on the uh, Altitude Collider. So that, that's going to be quite exciting too. I wonder how his game is going to react with that because... This year he has not played a clay much so far. I think he's played on some altitude clay before. Uh, maybe 2021 would be my guess that this could have been altitude clay. I would have to I would have to check that actually. But um, but yeah, let's let's see how his game reacts to that. Obviously he's played on green clay before. That 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 I can tell you for sure. Yeah, and the doubles title it actually went to uh, an Ohio State pairing. So Robert Cash and James Ken Trotter. And they beat uh, Andreotti Hagverdugo in the final, so seemingly a very good pair. And also, I think the the main favorites for the title, which were uh, William Blumberg and um, Luis David Martinez. So great run from the from the two Ohio State guys. Uh, they this was actually the first time they paired professionally, uh, but you know they they obviously know each other each other quite well. And the last challenger that we had this week, so a challenger 75 in Sibiu, Romania, and was an all-Bosnian final, Nerman Fatic beating Damir Jumhur. And by the way, if this sounds like, you know, something rings a bell here, yes, indeed, that's because Nerman Fatic beat Damir Jumhur, and actually the scoreline is also off by just one game, in the 2022 final, which was the first all-Bosnian challenger final, um, huge moment for Fatic because he earned his maiden challenger title and Derman Fatic also uh, earned his second challenger title in Sibiu so he is a Sibiu specialist I think uh, you know if, if we just look at it from a bit of a different angle he's mostly a faster clay sort of specialist so so I think that's that's maybe more so right rather than actually calling him a Sibiu specialist. However, uh, you know, it's a funny story that he's done this. Um, obviously, uh, previously this year, he's had like, what, two semifinals, Modena, 
and San Marino. So again, faster clay courts. I think that's that's clear that this is what he's good at. He also saved two match points against Ricardo Bonadio in the second round, and one of them Bonadio missed a pass by like a very you know the narrowest of margins. Basically, the other he hit a plus one uh, backhand um, just into the middle of the net. So a bit of a choke there from the Italian, I would say. <clears throat> and from that, Fatic was able to beat Ivan Gakov, Jombor Piroš, and Damir Jumhur. Uh, the final against Jumhur, honestly, these guys don't bring the best out of each other. Last year's final was next to unwatchable, and this year's was not good either. Um, Jumhur had some fire issue early on. He got treatment on that and was very competitive in the second set. It actually seemed like he's like the better player. But then Fatic wins it, but still the match just feels, the rallies feel very, very off pace. A friend of mine uh, who saw them in Prague, um, Fatic and Dumhur, he said that they were very friendly with each other. And obviously they're both from Bosnia. So I think it's possible that maybe they just know each other so well that you know, it doesn't really click. I, I, I know that it can be like this, you know, when you're playing a friend of yours or even worse when, you know, Ulysses Blanche plays daily Blanche in Poznan this year, right? Uh, it can be very tough to actually compete and play your best tennis against someone who is a you know a big friend of yours. So maybe that's the situation with Fatih Jumhur here. I don't know. Anyway, the final was was not a great watch. Um, and Damir Jumhur. Well, I guess I will also say that Fatih right now has a great chance of making Australian Open qualifying with this run, whereas not defending this point these points. Uh, that that would have made it really tricky. He made his slam debut at the US Open this year. And Jumhur is on a fantastic run, as we all know. Uh, semi-final in Mallorca, uh, title in Istanbul. Uh, Davis Cup, he lost to Yannick Hantman very easily. But then Sibiu, runner-up. And um, yeah, over over the course of the week, he got some great wins. Ionel, Cargui, Travaglia and Koboli. I think especially the two Italians, right? And then he just has this weird off-pace performance in the finals. It's not the first time that this happened to Jumhur. And if if it wasn't for that one against Klein in Istanbul, we would have said that, okay, so Jumhur is now on, what, a seven or an eight? Eight. If he, if he lost to Klein, then he would have been on an eight-match losing streak in, in Challenger finals. Um, and also last year, he had a couple of stinkers against Fatic and um, Maroshan. But yeah, he, he had that one against Klein. And he got the title. He got over that little hurdle that he had. So um, yeah, I can't really say that he does that in every final, but we've certainly seen a few finals from Jumhur where he is really tense and uh, yeah, just underperforms. And I think that was also one of them. Uh, one of the semi-finalists was Flavio Cobolli. And I think I said, because by the way, Cobolli was my pick for the title, right? And who was my pick for Columbus? Because again, I forgot to mention that. Uh, I think for Columbus, I might have gone for Enzo Cuoco. And Enzo Cuoco lost to Galarno in the quarters. So I guess that was a fine, fine choice. Um, I mean, I can't be overly angry about it, right? Um, and uh, yeah, in in, um, in Sibiu, I went with Flavio Cobolli. I thought that was probably my best pick of, uh, um, of uh, the previous week. And he beat Caruso, Lavagno, Idukovic and lost to Jumhur. And by the way, uh, I remember mentioning that like the fact that Koboli still doesn't have a challenger final this year is a little weird because he's just playing far too good for that. And I still still agree with my statement from previous week, which is good. At least over uh, well, over the course of seven days, I still agree with myself. I don't know if I'm going to agree with myself in a couple of months. But, you know, time is running out for Koboli a little bit because all the big, um, all the big clay events are 
basically gone, right? So we're going to see if that works out for the Italian, because, yeah, I, ju I just think this year has been much better than his 2022 campaign, and it's a bit of a, like, dichotomy for me that... Um, yeah, that he doesn't have a challenger title still, but uh, or, or a challenger final. But anyway, now he actually skips a week. He withdrew from Braga, but then he will play Lisbon or Malaga. So maybe th these will be the opportunities that Koboli can take. And the other semi-finals was Jombor Piros, and we very easily could have had even three challenger top 100 debuts uh, this week with Brody, with Copriva also coming really close. But uh, Jombor Piros uh, was also part of that group. He actually had to win the title to get there. I was surprised that he beat Paulson so cleanly. He also played a great match against Emery. And I think he'll be really disappointed with losing to Fatic. You know, if you're Jombor Piros and you have got Fatic in the semis and in the final potentially Junghur, uh, and if if this is your chance to get to the top 100, I think you kind of have to... I, 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 I don't want to say you have to take it, but you have to treat it as something... Uh, that is very uh, gettable. However, you know, still a chance for Piroš pretty soon, I think, because in the ATP race, he is, like, really close, from what I remember. Um, yeah, basically 108. And also, uh, for the next few weeks, he's gonna, well, in, in a few weeks, he's gonna drop his Gwangyu points, which, you know, was a challenger that he won last year. However, other than that, he defends zero, literally zero points. So I think there's still an opportunity there for Jombor Piroš. Would love to see him get there. Would love to see the second uh, player out of the Hungarian golden generation to, to, to break the top 100. Whether this will happen... Uh, we'll see, but uh, I think Piroš still has an excellent shot to get there. However, he's probably just not playing quite as well as he was in the spring, and you know that that's leading to his um, to his troubles. And also, he's already played eighty matches this year. Which, well, I guess I guess I have to subtract on this side that I'm seeing this. I have to subtract the leagues, and he's actually played a lot, a lot of in league, a lot of matches in leagues. So yeah, just maybe scratch that. It's actually seventy matches. But still, that's, that's pretty big for Piroš, I think, because with his health issues, and it's not like he steered clear of, of these health issues in 2023, playing 80 matches in a year is actually pretty cool already. Uh, sorry, 70. Um, yeah, I did that again. Anyway, also in the doubles, we had a very interesting storyline here, because Andrew Paulson and Michal Wbenski won the title over Piotr Matuszewski and Kai Wechnelt. And Andrew Paulson is now on a 16-match win streak in Challenger doubles. Which is crazy, but um, yeah, that that's that's how good he's been recently. You know, he's won Liberec and Prague with Pernosa, then Vitali Sachko with Szczecin, with Vitali Sachko with Szczecin, Szczecin with Vitali Sachko, and then Sibiu with Michal Wbenski. So basically, whoever he plays with is just a doubles destroyer right now. And also in Sibiu, uh, they, I mean, Paulson and Wbenski crushed the field. Even the more dangerous pairings, so pretty much. Let's say Kalianda Punacha Sharan, you know, they are they are quite dangerous. And also Matuszewski Vechnet for sure. Uh they just demolished these pairings. And yeah, I think Andrew Paulson and probably even in the duo with Noza easily could be a top 100 doubles player if he just focused on that. But of course he's not going to. He's gonna try to play Challenger um yeah, Challenger singles mostly. However, you know, maybe the guy will actually get to the top 100 anyway, because right now he's getting pretty pretty close to that speed. So yeah, just a, just a ridiculous run for Andrew Paulson. And uh, I think there's a doubles future there for sure if he wants it. 
Uh, Peth Noza, of course, the, the the guy that I was talking about, potentially could play with him as like a very high quality double sparing is in the top 100. Paulson right now, he is getting to 123, I think. So so yeah, uh, really good run for, for Paulson. 16 wins in a row is, is crazy, regardless if it's doubles, singles, and really whatever level you're going to do it at. And um, yeah, let's get to Challenger match of the week and upset of the week. Um, usually when I record these shows, it's already after like all the finals and I have already put out the poll on Twitter. However, I have not done that this year. So I don't know what your take is going to be on in terms of, uh, you know, the best matches of the week. In my opinion, I would say in, um, in Cebu, there weren't really any huge classics. I would say that in Columbus, maybe Peniston against Pospisil could could take it. In uh, Antofagasta, there was definitely Serundolo, Ugo Carabelli, and also Boyer Tabilo, but I actually didn't watch it, so that's why, you know, I cannot I cannot really pick it. But um, Serundolo, Ugo Carabelli, I think that's one of the best ones. I also really enjoyed Reis da Silva beating Delian. I thought that was a fantastic match too. Um, was there anything in Saint-Tropez that could really rival that? The final was cool, Lestien and Brody. Uh, it is a possibility. I, I, I probably will include it in the poll, I suppose. And also, was there something in Bad Waltersdorf? Probably not, right? I guess Nozal Gamenone was cool. Oh, and Kovalik Karbaez Baena as well. Uh, that was like right played, I think, on Monday and was a <clears throat> fantastic match. Um, so yeah, maybe I will actually choose that. Um, Josef Kovalik over Roberto Carbaez Baena. Thought that was really high quality. Obviously, the top seed in Tulln fell right away, but Kovalik is so great in these faster clay conditions too. And yeah, I I just really enjoyed that one. My other pick would have been Serundolo Ugo Carabelli, I think, even though it maybe wasn't as dramatic as you would usually expect a match of the week to be. And when it comes to upset of the week, let's see if there was anything crazy. Um, in Bad Waltersdorf, there were some Pellegrino upsets or Kovalik again, but I don't think Kovalik was that huge. You know, I thought the odds were way wrong on that one. Uh, I just think they disrespected Kovalik in a way. Uh, in uh, Santropé, definitely not not many upsets. Puruchaga over Comesania. I think it could have been huge. However, Comesania was struggling so much in his opening round against Sakamoto that I sort of expected at some point he might uh, be in trouble. Reis da Silva over De- Delian. I think Reis da Silva is an excellent upset maker. You know, he, he cannot really maintain that level over the course of, I don't know, five matches or something, but he, he does produce the upsets quite often. And he had that beautiful final against Puccinelli de Almeida earlier this year. I don't think anything in Columbus can really battle for upset of the week either. And when it comes to Sibiu, yeah, not a great week for upsets, I suppose. I don't see any massive scores in terms of the bookies' odds. I think I'm just going to go with, well, actually Harrison over Svida. I guess that surprised me too in Columbus. Yeah, I'm going to pick Christian Harrison over Zachary Svida. Svida had won Tiburon, but when I watched Svida's opening round against... Um, Guido Andreozzi, he played a bit of a Jordan Thompson style of tennis in the on the courts in Columbus, and Jordan Thompson won the 2022 edition, and I thought that Svida was probably going to find himself really, really well uh, in this tournament. He just played sort of, yeah, slice grinding play style, a couple of stunning lobs. Uh, he was also serving quite well, surprisingly, 
And yeah, I, I thought he was going to go much, much deeper in this event after seeing that match against Andreotti. So yeah, I'm going to pick Christian Harrison over Zakaris Fajda. It's not exactly a huge upset, but you know, that we didn't really get, get that many this week simply. And yeah, let's go over to the four events that uh, will be happening this week, next week. I mean, you're listening to this on Monday, Tuesday, so this week. And there are two Challenger 125s again. One of them is in Bogota, and the other one is in Orléans. Orléans? Yeah, Orléans, I guess is fine, right? It's not Orleans, definitely not. I think it's Orléans. And anyway, let's uh, maybe start with Bogota, which is honestly one of the weakest Challenger 125s I've seen. This is such a massive opportunity for, for anyone involved. I think a lot of players just decided to skip it because of the altitude. And um, while I get that, I think really to an extent, there are points lying on the floor there if you get a good draw. Let me look who won or like who's winning in the first round. Or actually, let's let's maybe start with the draw. Um, Thomas Barrios Vera, the top seed, he's going to try to regain some form because as we know, the last few weeks, they have not been amazing for him. And he's playing a wildcard from Colombia. Here's Alejandro Hoyos. So um, that could be a good chance. And also in that section, there's a loads, there's like loads of qualifiers. Renzo Olivo, the eighth seed, playing Nicolas Mejia. That's a high quality altitude round one. Both these guys uh, really control their games at, in these conditions much better than most. Gonzalo Lama is also there. Tiago Agustin Tirante, I wonder if he can win this. He's the fourth seed playing a qualifier and has a potentially tricky second round with Durasovic or Reis da Silva. But then in the bottom, it kind of opens up of this uh, of this quarter. Murkel Delian, Adria Sorano Barrera, Orlando Luz, Nick Hart. I mean, Delian or Soriano Barrera could be dangerous. Soriano Barrera, I think, already made the Challengers semi-final at altitude this year. Um, and then in the bottom half, we have um, Rodriguez Taverna as the fifth seed playing Alex Parena. Puccinelli da Almeida plays a qualifier. And also Hugo Delian is in a tough opener, I think, against Eduardo Ribeiro, then potentially Jean-Vier or Gustavo Haide. Uh, there's also Alejandro Tabilo as the second seed, so another Chilean looking for some form, playing Benjamin Locke. Locke made that the final at that event that I was thinking of, right? When Soriano Barrera made the semis. Was it Medellin? I think it was Medellin. Uh, they should have one of them, Locke or Tabilo, they could have a second round that's pretty easy against the qualifier or Johan Alexander Rodriguez, a uh, Colombian wildcard. And also there's this section with Fikovic, fantastic altitude clay player, uh, against Elmar Ejupovic. So that could be pretty tricky uh, right away. And also Kenan Kingsley is there and he's playing Horda Sanchez. I think given the conditions, I would say Kingsley is probably the favorite. But again, yeah, let's see how he adapts to the altitude clay. So what I'm thinking of here, um, well, let's, uh, yeah, as I said, let's look at the qualifiers first. We have the first round done already. Is there anyone really? I mean, Ignacio Busse, I don't think he's particularly good at altitude. Facundo Menalos to Arklan Huertas del Pino, which uh, really surprised me. Uh, Clear Junior, Blaise Bicknell, oh, Blaise Bicknell could be really dangerous, I think, if he qualifies and if he plays someone here. Uh, we've seen Bicknell very recently, right? Had, had, a, had a good run in, um, what was it, Lima? Which I don't think was that fast. Not like Bogota, but still. Um, he has done it in South America before, clearly. And I think tomorrow he is playing Kiran Palpanu, so I would assume that it's it's a pretty decent draw as well. But yeah, generally the qualifying, the qualifying isn't that strong. So let's see, who are the best altitude clay players here? 
Barrios Vera was really good at the beginning of the year, like in the April sort of altitude swing, right? But I don't want to pick him now just because he's so low on confidence and just had an awful showing last week. Um, who was it that he lost two games to? I should remember that. I, I watched that much. Was it... Uh, it was a Brazilian, was it? No, it wasn't Puccinelli de Almeida. It was Poscardin Dias. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to pick him after that. Mejia Olivo, again, that's pretty tough. Tirante, I think, is a is a real chance here. He loves altitude. Juan Ambato um, obviously had some, some nice opportunities at slams recently with the French Open second round. He's won Ambato. He's won um, Morelos, right? That was on, on hard courts, but that's still altitude. He made the final in Mexico City. So I think Tirante has, has a great chance here. I don't like his second round against Durasovic race da Silva quarter against Delian or Murkel, I mean Delian or Soriano Barrera. That's not easy either. However, yeah, I think I think that's what I'm gonna go for. Ugo Delian, I don't think he's that good at altitude. And also Fikovic. Fikovic could be a play, but then then you know Ayupovic in the first round, Kingsley in the second, Tabilo, for example, in the third, or even Ben Locke. That that's not that easy. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a pretty clear Tiago Agustin Tirante pick for me. Um, it's not the easiest draw, but, you know, he is really strong at altitude. Uh, he just doesn't have to care about that backhand at all. has a massive rocket forehand and a great serve, especially in these conditions. So, yeah, I, I, I really like um, Tiranta here as a pick. And then the other challenger, 125, we're going back to Europe. And the contrast between this and Bogota is just insane. And honestly, the the, Bogot, the Orléans field is just fantastic. The amount of class first rounds that we get and also the players that are in the qualifying, it, it is really astonishing. So let's start with just saying that, well, the first um, the first uh, match that we have on the in the draw is Richard Gasquet against Pierre Gerber. But then in that very same section, there's Denis Novak against Jakub Menschik. What the hell? Gabriel Diallo against Julius Pieri. I mean, both of these guys could easily meet in like a challenger indoor final. Then Marc-Andrea Hüssler in the second round. Uh, well, sorry, in the second round. Is, this, is the other seed in this quarter. So that's an insane quarter right away. Then at the bottom of the first half, of the top half, you have Thomas Mahach playing Maxim Cressy. <laughs> From what I remember, this was maybe uh, an Australian Open second round last year. There's also Lestien de Jong in that section, Bonzi Escoffier, Jacquet Per. I mean, that's, that's just absurd, right? Jack Draper plays Radu Albot. That's already a very tough draw, I think, for the Brit, although you, know, you, you would think that he should be beating Albot at this point. Dino Prismic plays pre Ugo Gaston, so that's another ridiculous thing. There's also a lot of qualifiers in that, in that third quarter with his Brauer. And David Goffin can play, for example, Otto Wittanen in the second round if they get, both get through their qualifiers. And at the bottom, you have Luca Van Asch with a wildcard playing Alex Molchan, and one of them has to face Nardi or Grenier. Did that not happen? No, Nardi Guinard was one, was a was a first round of a challenger a couple of weeks back. So yeah, this draw is just absurd. And also in the qualifying, you know, we've got guys like Mattia Belucci, Elias Immer, Joris Delor, who by the way lost retired today. Mattia Belucci saved three match points, so almost almost lost to Vincent Ruggeri. And yeah, guys like that are playing qualifying here. So clearly this is this is insanely strong. Uh, I think the, the the players that I mentioned, you know, Immer, 
Bellucci, they, they are probably the most dangerous of the qualifiers. Also Lamazin or Gombosh, one of these guys, if Gombosh gets some form back and Lamazin has had a very good year. Excited to see if he does something here. But anyway, um when I'm when I'm thinking of the favorites here, I mean so many guys. I recently said that Mahach was not gonna finish 2023 without a challenger title. I still would back that claim. So even after like two or three weeks, I still am able to back my own claims. However, he's playing Cressy in the opening round, so I'm not too convinced about that anymore. I mean, I'm not too convinced about him potentially having a chance here, or let's say that. Ben Bonzi, uh, playing Antoine Escoffier, if he's if he's healthy, I think he should make the quarters here. However, yeah, it's going to be a very tough semi then potentially. That section of Gasquet, Novak, Menchik, Diallo, Zepieri, Hussler, yeah, I'm not touching that. So I think for me, it could be just Jack Draper. You know, if he's healthy, he can easily win this event. I like his section. Lots of qualifiers. Brauer, Prismic, Gaston, Albot. Everyone has a tough draw here, right? So even though Albot is not the ideal first round opponent for Jack Draper, I think I'm just going with the Brit. Let's back Jack Draper to win this event. And uh, most recently, we had Jack Draper in a challenger in... Um, Winnipeg, right? Uh, where he lost to Kazo in the quarters, but then he actually hasn't played a challenger since the US Open, but, you know, he was fine at the US Open physically, he beat Kokinakis at Davis Cup, so yeah, I like his chances here. I, th- I think he, he might win a challenger very soon as well. I don't know if this one, because, well, it's so strong, but uh, yeah, one of the one of the most stacked challenger 125s of the year against one of the least stacked challenger 125s of the year in Bogota. Anyway, we also have two challenger 75s, one in Braga, one in Charleston. Uh, which one are we talking about first? Let's maybe start with Braga. We were just in Europe, and the top seed there is Jombor Pirosh, still trying to play on clay, still trying to secure that top 100. Uh, Mate Valkus could be his second round opponent, so it could be an exciting all Hungarian clash. However, Francesco Passaro will try to stop it and Kilian Feldbausch on uh, Pirosh's side. I think Feldbausch on clay. Pirosh should win it, but I think the prospect of making the top 100 is making him kinda nervous. Tito Androge was on a sick run, right, until the US Open. I'm not sure we've seen him since, but he's playing Enrique Rocha here, so it's not the worst draw, definitely not, even though Rocha qualified for the ATP 215 Estoril this year. And also, or did he... Or did he qualify or did he win one round? Let me actually refresh my memory, but I think he qualified, right? And um, so maybe Rocha is going to be different. Uh, it's going to be difficult. Oh, actually, Droger has played since the US Open and he lost to Puy in Ren, but, you know, still, he, he, he is on a pretty sick run. So he will be dangerous here, but then he can play Agamemnon or Maestrelli in the second round. I think the fact that there's just one European clay event this week is actually making the the Braga draw, despite being a 75, really, really strong. Choinski plays Idukovic in the first round. I'm so excited for that one. Blancano against Kolash, another another seed in that, sec- in that second quarter is Kolash. There's also Gianessi playing Elias. That's, wasn't that uh, an OA rush final, maybe like a year or two ago? Uh, actually, yeah, last year. Elias Gianessi, that was an OA rush final. 
And then Travaglia is also there, Matteo Gigante, the eighth seed plays Eduardo Lavagno, Hassan Fatic, the last week's champion. There's also a cracker, cracker first round, I think one of the most aesthetically pleasing matches you could get at a clay challenger between Bonadio and Yamas Ruiz. And Timofey Skatov is the second seed. And by the way, Timofey Skatov, I believe, was the runner-up last year, right? Losing to... Wasn't he? Oh, it was the semi-final that he lost to to Moreno de Alboran, I suppose. And uh, yeah, he can play Joao Sozavo in the second round. So that's that's going to be pretty tough. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't the final. It was the semi-final that Skatov made in Braga last year. But... Needless to say, he had a very strong finish to the 2022 season, so he will need to make up on that very, very quickly. Uh, and Ivan Gakov is the fifth seed also in this section. He can play a qualifier and then a qualifier or Gerard Campania Lee. As you guys know, Campania Lee will definitely will be looking out for him because, yeah, it looks like he might be one of the most interesting players that we've seen sort of blossom because of the uh, Junior Accelerator program so far. In terms of the qualifying, do we have anyone uh, who's going to be of note here? <clears throat> the top seed Guinard lost to Sanchez Hover today. Oleksi Krutik, maybe, if he gets some form back. Um, Timo Stoder, maybe. But generally speaking, probably a qualifier is not winning this. And who am I going for here? I mean, Skatov is always a possibility, but Joao Souza in the second round with Souza's improved, you know, most um, improved form of late and also more motivation. I don't really like that. But th- that bottom half has a lot of qualifiers there, so it kind of makes me want to go for someone in that section. Bonadio Yamas Ruiz. I could pick either of these guys realistically to win a challenger. However, they are playing each other in the first round. <laughs> Bonadio has just lost to Fatic and he could play them in the second round too. Because from the, from the top half... I think the first quarter is just too strong, you know, Droge, Agamenone, Maestrelli, Valkus, Piros, Passaro. No, no, I don't want to go into that. Choinski or Rajdukovic, I'm not picking that either. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to go with Yamas Ruiz. I think there's a big chance that he loses to Bonadio in the first round, but if he doesn't, he should be very dangerous here. And by the way, wasn't Pablo Yamas Ruiz also one of the better performers of Praga last year? Uh, exactly, yeah, he lost in the quarters to Puccinelli Almeida. What was the win that he got earlier? Dominguez, it was the impressive one. And no, that, that, that wasn't that impressive, right? Yeah, I guess it must have been Dominguez. So I guess at the time, Yamas Ruiz beating Dominguez was a was a big, um, well, I don't, I don't want to say a shock, but you know, it was a big thing back then. It was a big deal. However, right now it wouldn't be, but I remember being excited about Yamas Ruiz after that win. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick him here. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to be right, but we'll see. And uh, Charleston is the last event that we have, also a Challenger 75. Actually, the this is the event that last year was not finished uh, due to a hurricane, which was pretty crazy. Um, I think they played half the second round and the players got the points for, you know, the rounds they reached, but nothing more. Uh, hopefully no such thing this year, you know, no catastrophes. And the top seed is Enzo Quaco again, just like in Columbus. He's playing Mili Polichak, the 2022 Wimbledon Boys Singles Champion. Um, should be a pretty good draw for Quaco, though. Uh, in the second round, he would play Tomic or a qualifier. There's also Skulkate Kudla again, because this was a quarterfinal from Columbus and Kudla won it pretty easily. But one of them could face Mpechi Pericard in the second round, and that's exciting. Sandgren playing Crawford. I guess that's a good run, good, good draw for Sandgren, although Crawford has a wildcard here. Locoli Kruger, 
Um, there's also a wildcard for Toby Alex Kodat, and he could play a qualifier and then a qualifier Richard. Also, Galarno against Ethan Queen. Is that an exciting first round? I guess if Galarno is a bit wary, maybe. Um, Hertz is also there. The third seed is Vasek Pospisil playing Brandon Holt. A couple of struggling players there. And I'm excited for this one between um, two of the more exciting younger guys. So Mark Layal and Abedala Shelbaich. I guess Layal is way more interesting, but still. Adam Walton, the sixth seed. Speaking of interesting young talent, uh, plays a qualifier and then Aziz Dugasor qualifier. And also we had a withdrawal here because Emilio Gomez used to be the second seed, but he uh, pulled out. There's going to be a qualifier or a lucky loser, I suppose, in this case, right? Um, No, actually, no, because... Yeah, it should be, right? What am I talking about? Yeah, Yeah, it will be a qualifier or a lucky loser playing Christian Harrison, and then one of these guys will probably face Kipson or Pennystone. So let me look at the qualifying and, like, the matches that we got there already today... Um, yeah, so in the in the qualifying for Charleston, we still have some matches going on. For example, Rodena's playing Pomwith, that's pretty cool. Michael Zheng is losing to Stefan Kozlov, that's quite disappointing with Kozlov's recent form. Um, August Holmgren beat Bryden Schnur, that was a pretty fun one. Darian King as well through Federico Agustin Gomez. Um, Ernesto Escobedo, but as, as you can hear probably by the quality of the players that I'm mentioning, well maybe Skander Mansuri can go on the run, um, I think they, they could have some sort of runs here, will it be a qualifier winning? It wouldn't be the weir- weirdest thing in the world, however I'm probably gonna stick to what what I know already so, you know, the, the players in the main draw actually and it, it's a tough it's a tough draw to, to pick out of and I think, you know, I feel like a stupid pick and I, I feel like a, a bold youngster prediction here. And that's what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm going to choose Mark Layal. He's playing Shelbaich. I think he's the better prospect for now. And then potentially Holtor Pospisil. You know, these guys have been struggling. Tough quarterfinal against Galarno. The more I talk about it, the more I sort of think that I shouldn't be picking him to win here. However, I, I kind of feel like, you know, Layal should get a run sometime soon because um, I, I've I've just been looking, you know, at, at his most recent results, I suppose. And I'm like, you know, he's doing okay, but I, I would hope for something more. Uh, I think there's been a few losses where I was like, mm, okay. Uh, probably I would I would have expected you know at least a closer battle like like against Radu Albot or beating guys like Billy Harris at this point or Justin Boulay in Granby. So so yeah, basically my feeling with with Layal recently is that he is underperforming slightly since winning that first challenger title in in Little Rock, and maybe Charleston is going to be the the place where he comes back to his best. I'm not sure how uh, fast his track of progress will be from here. Like, I, I think he has a lot of potential, but whether he could be um, maybe on something like, you know, top 100 next year, that sounds like a bit too much, probably. But if he if he got a few more big runs in challengers here, I would welcome the idea, you know. I would be, uh, I would be excited about him potentially doing it as early as 2024. Anyway... Yeah, that's what I'm going to go for here. Uh, a crazy peak of Mark Layal. If it works out, 
you know where to find me on Twitter and congratulate me. <laughs> if it doesn't, please don't send me hate messages. Anyway, uh, that's going to be it for today. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, I will be back, of course, in seven days as usual to discuss uh, Charleston, Braga, Bogota and Orlando. And uh, yeah, I'll see you there. Bye.